Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. Hey, good morning, everyone. I love this. This is like a, you know, like, like a real production, which is so new to me. But it's amazing to see all those uh, who are here with me, the worship team. Thank you very much for serving and Pastor Andre and his team. You know, I can't say this enough, but you guys are blessed to have an amazing uh, pastoral team serving you every Sunday and just making things happen. You must understand that that uh, to put together a service and to plan forward is not an easy task, and uh, this is the constant, uh, I would say, thing that they have been doing since the pandemic, and well, I believe that we're at the end of the tunnel. I believe that this, that all these will come to an end before the year ends, as we've heard from uh, uh, the news. Uh, but in the last two years, I'm just so grateful for a team that's serving us so well. So thank you again, Pastor Andre. Thank you, Pastor Jen, and uh, the team. Uh, well, this morning before I start, uh, we're in, if, if you don't know the church in Singapore, it's in the 40 days of prayer for our nation. National Day is coming up. Of course, the good news is that the government says that you know, a lot of the measures will, will be lifted uh, on National Day. No idea what that looks like yet. We shall see. But nonetheless, let us just uh, open this time with a word of prayer and also praying for our nation. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for uh, this wonderful morning. Again, we say this is the day that you have made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. We are thankful for the breath of life. We're thankful for the Christian community, the church that we're a part of, for our friends, for our family. But we're also thankful for our nation. We thank you for Singapore. We thank you for the way that our government has... um, Lord, led us in the last year and a half, especially through this pandemic... There's no perfect government, but we thank you for a committed, wise government. We just bless our leaders on this day. We pray, God, that, um, uh, Lord, you will just bless them with uh, supernatural wisdom, favor. We pray for our nation. We pray for an awakening to come to the hearts of the believers. We pray for revival within the church. We pray for, uh, Lord, the body of Christ, God, to be one. Father, we pray for non-believers to be swept into your kingdom. We pray for your kingdom to advance and your will to be done in this city as it is in heaven. We love you. We and Father, we pray for your anointing to be upon me, Lord, to be upon the listeners, God, to go through uh, the screen, God, and those under the sound of my voice, whether in person, uh, those who are watching live, or those who will catch up, Lord, on this sermon, God, that you will move our hearts, Lord, that, God, you will inch us forward in our pursuit of more of you, God, and to become more like Jesus. We love you. We honor you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, and everyone say... Amen, amen. Well, uh, when Pastor Jen asked me to speak, you know, I said to her, I said, I don't just want to come here to say something. I want to have something to say. And so this morning, I, and I've been musing a lot about this whole idea of what it makes a man. What does it make a man? This whole idea of manhood. Uh, I think I spoke briefly uh, during the AGM, if you're a part of it, you know, of how Elijah was a man just like us. But you know, what makes him different was his fervent prayer. And of course, the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. And 
You know, I'm one, one, one of the older people in this church, and I believe, you know, within our context, it qualifies me to talk a bit more about manhood, it talks of, uh, to talk a bit more about what it means to be a husband. So this morning, I want to focus uh, my uh, message uh, on manhood, speaking to husband. But I believe all of you uh, who are not, not husbands yet, or who might be wives, or, you know, might be a mother a young person that this message would make sense to you. So let's begin. So I read a story of a man who noticed some cracks in his living room while watching TV. And of course, like what most men do, he called a painter to, uh, to repair and cover the cracks. A few weeks later, the cracks reappeared. So the man again called the painter back. Once again, the responsible painter came and, no and covered the cracks with putty and paint. And it appears that the problem had been resolved, yet in a few more weeks, the cracks came back with a vengeance this time. The cracks uh, now uh, brought his friends back. There were a lot more cracks you know, on the wall in the living room. And again, the man called the painter back. And after looking at you know, all these cracks that he had seen before, the painter said, he said, Sir, I can't help you because you don't have a problems with cracks. And the frustrated homeowner said, can't you see my living room wall? Of course I have a problem with cracks. But the painter said, the problem isn't the cracks in your wall. Your problem is that you have a shifting foundation. The cracks you see on the wall are the symptoms of a deeper issue. The issue is the foundation of your house is moving. He said, if you want to fix the cracks, you have to fix your foundation. And unless you fix the problem, you'll forever be doing patchwork. This morning, I want to present to us that the family is really the foundation of our society. Somebody say, Amen. A careful observation shows that there are cracks in our society. We see social cracks, we see economic cracks, we see relational cracks. And while there are many public and even private efforts, the CSRs and the social action and the church stepping up to do more community work, these are all efforts to fix these cracks. May I suggest to all of us that they are just the symptoms of a shifting family foundation. The breakdown of the family is the single most basic reason for the disintegration of our society and our culture. And unless we rebuild the foundation of the family, we will forever, my friends, just be doing social patchwork. As I said, the family is the foundation in any civilization and any culture. If you've noticed, builders raising skyscrapers in the middle of the city, especially here in Singapore, were always building. They would block off, cordon off the area, and the construction workers would be piling and digging a huge hole on a construction site. And you always know how high they plan to build uh, the building from how low they dig the foundation because it all starts with the foundation. So I'm suggesting to, to all of us that we cannot build a skyscraper culture of pre peace and prosperity on a shallow family foundation. Let me repeat that. We cannot raise, we can't build uh, a national culture of peace and prosperity of shalom on a shallow family foundation. We need to dig a deeper foundation on the home front and it must begin with an understanding of headship. 
It must begin with a fundamental, biblical, scriptural understanding of headship. And this morning, I, 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 I want to help us begin our journey because half an hour is just way too short for us to do a deep dive, a deep dive into this, this multifaceted subject of headship. But let's begin our journey together. The need to rediscover true biblical manhood and male leadership within the family unit. We must begin there. We must begin there. Why? Because the strength of a nation depends on the consecration of our men. The strength of Singapore depends on the consecration of her men. Let's read Exodus chapter 34, verses 23 to 24. Do I have that on, on the screen? Yes, it says in the Scriptures, three times a year, this is in, in Israel, ancient Israel, three times a year, all your men are to appear before the sovereign Lord, the God of Israel. Verse 24 says, And I will drive out nations before you and enlarge your territory and no one will covet your land when you go up three times each year to appear before the Lord your God. We see a cause and effect in this verse. When, when God's men present themselves before the Lord in ancient Israel three times every year, God told the men in Israel, that if they submit themselves to his rule, he would protect their land from invaders. The strength of a nation depends on the consecration of a man. I believe our culture is in the middle of a crisis of manhood. Broadly speaking, there's a fog of confusion over the questions of gender. It has been a matter of debate uh, for, for the longest time, but this has escalated in recent uh, years and specifically recent months. I'm surprised to read about certain movement, movements lobbying against the ancient practice of doctors and midwives announcing the gender of babies at birth. It's a boy, it's a girl, and that's been an ancient practice since ancient times, not, not just Israel, but even in China. It's a boy, it's a girl, the ancient practice but also the more modern trend, which wasn't my time when the kids were born, but there was a modern trend of happy parents organizing gender reveal parties for their friends and families. Not my time, but it's quite common you know, with some of you, right? But there's been a lobbying against all these activities, all, all these practices. I'm surprised because as Christians, we understand that God created human beings as male and female. Amen? Male and female for His glory and for our good. The differences between the sexes are clear indications of God's perfect design for human flourishing. It was His perfect design. It was part of His creative order so that economies and so that nations and humankind can flourish. Our gender differences, listen, are supposed to be complementary. Male and female are created, listen, equal but different. Equal, but different. However, our society has been routinely discounting the essence of what it means to be male, what it means to be female. And more and more men nowadays are joining women complaining that traditional expectations about gender roles are oppressive, limiting, and intolerant. May I suggest to us that beyond just cultural insanity, which we didn't face, those of us who are older in our 40s growing up, which we didn't face. But may I suggest to you that this cultural insanity, this challenge you know, it, with our cultural norms goes beyond you know, the push for freedom of expression. 
It is actually an attempt of Satan to mar the crowd jewel of God's creation. Human beings, male and female, he created us. We are the apex, the crowd jewel of God's creation. And Satan is trying to mar the image that, that of himself put into mankind. And unless we recover the practice of men presenting themselves, consecrating ourselves before God, we might face a losing battle. My concern is that within this context of, confu- this, of this confusion, boys are especially vulnerable. Why do I say that? Because the feminization of society and mixed with these uh, confusing signals has led many boys and young men, many boys and young men to be uncertain about their masculinity and proper role in society. We see that in in their search for male identity and some of them have embraced, I should say, an arrogant, almost aggressive posture of dominating and being a domineering male in society. And of course, we will have pushback from the females because that wasn't part of God's creative design. Men and women are made Equal, but because of their search, you know, they want to securitize, I would say, their, their malehood, their manhood. They are pushing, they become brutalized, and they start uh, taking, you know, dom- a, a domineering posture. While on the other hand, some male, some men retreat into insecure manhood, never understanding a man's responsibility to lead in society. And because of that, we are also facing the growing phenomenon of perpetual boyhood. What do I mean? Boys who don't grow up. Mummy's boy. Boy who gets married and still behaving like boys. And listen, when does a boy become a man? Of course, most Singaporean male would say when we go to the army, right? We just celebrated our SAF day, training to be soldiers to fight for our land. And we thought that you know, BMT and, and uh, going through the SAF would buff us up, becoming men. But I believe the answer to this goes far beyond biological and chronological age. As defined in the Bible, manhood is a functional reality. Amen. It's demonstrated in, in a man's fulfillment of responsibility and of leadership. And I hope one one day as a church, perhaps in a podcast or perhaps in an interview setting, we can explore the qualities of what it means to be true, uh, to, uh, of true biblical masculinity. And hopefully we can do that earlier than later. But this morning, I would like to consider St. Paul's instructions to husbands. We read these verses commonly in marriages, in weddings, But let's take a look at what Paul said in in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 28. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 28. Let's read together. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subjected to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Verse 27, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. 
I want to make a statement. And this statement is God holds the man responsible for the state of the family. Just in case you don't, you have not heard me. Let me say this. God holds the man responsible for the state of the family. Remember, when God came looking for the couple uh, after they partook of uh, the forbidden fruit, some say it's an apple. I don't know. God didn't call for Eve or the couple as a whole. He called for Adam. Amen? Yes? Why? Because at the heart of God's kingdom agenda, for the husband is bearing responsibility for the family, regardless of who is at fault. Of course, the first man pointed finger at Eve and said, the woman you created, she was the one who made me eat the fruit. But nonetheless, God looked for the man. Why? Because God holds the man responsible for the state of his family and, and broadly speaking, for the state of the family in a nation. What do I mean? Question, right? Euro season is on, right? Why do football team owners fire coaches when their teams isn't doing well? Come on, all right. It, it wasn't the coaches who fumbles on the ball or make bad passes or misses games. So why did owners fire the coaches and not, and not the players? Why? Because they fire coaches because coaches bear responsibility for their teams. Likewise, when a family gets out of spiritual alignment, God will hold the husband accountable because God has given him responsibility over the family. So that's a long introduction. I'll have a short body and a quick conclusion. But this morning, I'm calling all the husbands, not just the fathers. I know that there's been a lot of father message and I'm calling specifically the husbands in our church to take ownership of our family and be the man in the house that God has ordained us to be. So to be a husband means that you've got responsibility not just to your children, but also to, but especially to your wives. Amen? Because we notice a trend in our family life ministry when you know, more, more couples you know, would sign up for a parenting course. And this is a good one that you should sign up. All right? Whether it's Parents for Life or How to Be a Better Parent, then they would sign up for How to Be a Husband course or How to Be a Better Wife course or, you know, how, or a Marriage course. Why? Because we thought that once we get married, that's it. You know, we, all, we are now husbands, we are now wives. We're supposed to focus on the next gen. Now, that is correct. But can I suggest to all of us that before you can be a good father, you must be a good husband. Amen? Why? Because our children are looking at the way we treat our wives. Husbands, and they will take the cue from there on our fatherhood. So I'm calling all the husbands in our church to take our place, to be men of our house. Not according to how we think manhood should, should be like, but according to scripture. In fact, I've got two charges, two charges for the husbands. Number one, husband, lead your family in submission to God's rule. Lead your family in submission to God's rule. We read from the scripture, but also in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, that God's covenant order places God the Father as the head of Christ. Now, 
were they equal? Are they? Yes, of course. God the Father, God the Son, they are equal. They are uncreated. They are equal. But there is a creative order. There's an order, covenanted order. God the Father as, as the head of Christ and Christ as, as the head of the husband or the man and man as the head of the wife. So throughout the Old Testament, God referred to Himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob and not the God of Sarah, Rebecca and Rachel. In no way, in no way putting down the woman but in every way, putting responsibility on the man. Because God always starts with the man, because man bears the responsibility of preserving God's image and passing on His blessing to the family. So male leadership at home begins, I, can I su- suggest to us, by putting Matthew 6.33 into practice. Seeking first God's kingdom, all His righteousness in our home, and by making Jesus Christ as Lord over our domestic affairs. Let me explain that in a moment's time, but I want to just quickly say a few words to all the wise. Listen, biblical headship can be defined as governing authority, and we understand that, but let me remind all of us. So therefore, your husbands, wives, your husbands, have been authorized by their authority. Who's that? Jesus Christ, who was authorized by His authority, who is that God the Father, to bear the responsibility for their families. But listen, wives, listen, and husbands too, headship does not allow the husband to abuse or make selfish or arbitrary decisions that do not benefit his wife and family. It does not. Headship does not allow husbands to abuse or make selfish arbitrary decisions that do not benefit his wife or his family. There's an order, but there's also a protection. So husbands, fathers, next slide please. We should not be legalists. A legalist makes statements like, my way or the highway. Either you listen to me or you're out. And a lot of fathers say that to children. And you know, all of us, those who are older, have, have been guilty of that, haven't we? Even me. And if you talk to my kids, they will tell you frankly that sometimes daddy failed in this. It's my way or the highway. But they can see my struggle. Even in marriages, it's either my way or the highway. And we use you know, our power, right? You know, to, to control. And, and, and therefore, what I say is rules are Lord. The rules, we have got house rules, family rules. These are the rules. And the result is we pervert God's holiness with human rules and it produces arrogance, oppression, inconsistency and hypocrisy in the family and also in society. Rules, legalists. But on the other hand, neither should we be licentious. We have this license, you know, so a false sense of freedom is Lord. And that perverts true liberty with, with human uh, standards and preferences. And that produces, that, that produces a sense of entitlement, carnality, and lukewarmness. And, you know, do whatever you want. If you want to go out with your friends till past midnight, go. If you want to spend all the money to make your nails look good, your hair, just do whatever you want as long as you don't bankrupt us. So do whatever you want. Now, license is also not the Lord's will. A kingdom man 
Your husband is submitted first and foremost to, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is his Lord and he makes Jesus Lord of his house. And this whole idea, this whole concept of Lordship, I believe, has been neglected in churches. That was a fundamental biblical truth you know, since, since the beginning of the church. But we don't talk about Lordship nowadays. Rarely, seldom. But to me, the whole idea of Lordship you know, brings us to a place of surrender. Not my will, but your will be done in the context of the family, not our will, not the husband's will, not the wife's will, not the children's will, but God, what is your will? And not our will, but yours be done. Therefore, can I suggest to all of us, and, you, and, you, and you've heard me say this many times, I believe that the sim, in its simplest form, discipleship or lordship looks like hearing and obeying, but when I've learned recently, to listen and trust and obey is your primary job description as the man in the house. You listen, you trust, even though men are typically analytical, but you trust what you've heard and you obey because we cannot, listen men, we cannot abdicate that responsibility to our wives. You go and hear God, lah. tell me what God say. Lah. Or even to our pastors, you don't know what to do and you come to Pastor Andre, Pastor Andre, should we buy a house, should we not buy a house, should we do this? Do not abdicate your responsibility to your wives or to your pastors. Taking ownership as a husband is critical to you being the man you were created to be. And listen, husband, I believe and I'm quite certain that your wife wouldn't mind you leading her as God's kingdom representative if she knows she has been considered in making that decision. Amen? That you think about her, that you will consult, confide in her. So that's my first charge. Husband, lead your family under God's rule. Number two, and with this I'll close, right? Husbands, you should sacrificially love your wives and your family. Sacrificially. I believe headship means also that the husband maximizes the gifts God has given to, to his wife and he accepts the responsibility for the well-being of his marriage and family, the flourishing Husband maximizes the gifts. And tell, I tell you, haven't we realized how, how gifted our wives are, men? Haven't we realized how much potential they have? Last Sunday, as I was listening to my wife, it was a quantum leap you know, uh, of her last message compared to you know, the previous ones. And I said, wow, she's brilliant. And you guys heard me say this. Ten different prophets came to her and said, you will communicate. I said, how long, how many times must God speak to you through ten different people who didn't know each other before you take your place as God's mouthpiece? She said, no, 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 no. All the people are better. You are better. Jen is better. I'm so glad you talked about comparison. Amen. Hallelujah. Because once and for all, we can hold her accountable, right? That if she ever say again, oh, you should get someone else, don't compare. Amen. Don't compare. Because if, as we've read in, in Ephesians chapter 5, there are two primary roles that husbands play at home. Amen. Because the Bible basically compares the husband to Christ. And so first of all, the husband, next slide please, is the saviour. Now, I don't mean that we are the Messiah complex and all that we, we want to. But before I comment on this, I want to say this. Wives, whenever your husband you know, seemingly do not empathise with your feelings when they come and talk to you, and they jump to find solutions... Can I suggest, can I say this to all of us? I'm also guilty of that. That inherently, God 
makes the man to protect and to provide. We are, we are God's way of providing solutions. Uh, amen. So, so just learn how to communicate to your husband and, and say, my dear, and I know you're trying to protect and to solve the problem. What I need from you now is for you to hear me. And I tell you, husbands will say, okay, I'm so sorry. But the, the, the natural response that most men, you know, when you present a problem is for them to try to provide solution. It's how we are wired. All right? And, so, and sometimes we forget that wives don't need us to provide solutions. Just one our listening ear. So remind us, don't say, my husbands don't care. They care. That's, that's why they step up and they want to save the situation. All right? So just as Jesus Christ sacrificed his life on the cross to, to save people, husbands should sacrifice our selfish desires for the good of our wives and our family. Amen? See, God commanded Adam to protect the garden from the serpent. Likewise, husbands must protect their families from the schemes of the devil. And when we sacrifice ourselves for the sake of our wives and our family, the home becomes a safe and secure environment. And that's what our, our wives need. That's what our children need. For the home environment to be safe, to be secure, regardless of how much they might stray in time, they will come home. Why? Because they know that daddy provides a safe and secure environment, that daddy sacrifices and daddy provides, daddy protects my mother, daddy provides to my mother, daddy will put you know, his desire you know, uh, uh, be beneath our collective good. And I tell you, you create a safe and secure environment. So that's the posture of Jesus. Jesus went to the cross. He redeemed for us you know, a, a safe and secure world you know, called the kingdom of God, salvation. Amen. For us. And that's your responsibility as a husband. But number two is that the husband should also be the sanctifier. The Bible says that to sanctify our wives with the washing of the water of the word. Husbands must set their wives apart, make them feel unique, special, one of a kind. You know, in most of our homes, there are two kinds of dishes. If your home is like mine, two kinds of dishes. The everyday dishes, some plastic, some paper plates, some plastics. And, but, you know, if you want to uh, serve your family a nice meal, just bring out like those simple IKEA white dishes, right? But there are also some special use dishes, we keep the everyday dishes in the cupboards along with the other eating utensils, baking you know, dishes, and we run the everyday dishes through you know, the dishwasher. Some of the new homes have got dishwasher, toss them back into the cupboard. We use them every single day. But we often keep the special use dishes, the fine china, the porcelain plate, right? For special occasions. We, sometimes, we separate them and sometimes we lock them up. We have set them apart literally and sanctify them for special occasions. We treat them with care. We wash them by hand when they are dirty and then we carefully place them back. When there's a chip, I tell you, the wives would go crazy. What happened to my fine china? Amen? In, in the same way, the husband is to play the role in setting his wife apart. Make her feel special, unique, and precious. And wives, listen, it's not because you're weaker. It's not be, uh, because you're inferior. This, is, this message is not about you. 
this message is me saying you might be strong and you mm. might be capable. You are, I believe. This message is me as a husband with a pretty strong wife who's equal with me. So it's not about how weak or how needy. She's not needy at all. She could easily run the family without me. She could you know, be successful in the world without me. This is about me as the husband being her sanctifier. To tend the garden of our wife's heart with tender loving care, speaking words of life, faith, not death, calling the goal out in her and saying how amazing, what you envision her life to look like, you know, what you believe is God's purpose for her life and just, and just keep speaking words of life and I believe when, when, when you tend, when you nurture, you know, the garden of her heart that she will, uh, you will begin to see uh, their God-given potential blossom and I tell her my greatest joy, and I'm not saying I, I've done it all correct. I don't, no one taught me this. I stumbled into all this. And you know, God has got to be my disciple. He has got to bring correction. But I think my greatest joy since we planted this church is to see my wife flourishing. Stepping into a purpose, taking up fostering, adopting, growing the family and you know, stepping into coaching and learning new techniques and, and growing as a speaker. And she was brilliant last Sunday. In fact, many times her sermons when we were pastoring, whenever she, she spoke, were more viewed than mine. Amen. And it's not because I want to push my responsibility to her, because God has called her 10 different prophets saying you will communicate. And so I got to agree with the prophetic word by, by speaking life. And your, 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 your wife might be different, you know, it might be something else. But speak life over your wife. Bring out God's purpose in her life. And when husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church, I believe the family then would become a transforming environment. I've seen that enjoys life. As I was just contemplating on this message and I'm done, I know I've run out of time. I, I can't help but notice the transformation. Enjoy. I just said to her yesterday, I, you know, I, I think we make the right decision you know, for her to go back to school. I mean, she, from a novice, now she has a framework on social work, on counselling that I say, wow, that's pretty amazing. She's really a very good coach and counsellor and she's putting whatever she's learned into practice and she'll become a social worker in the next one year. She's going for her attachment next semester. I mean, I'm just like, wow, my God. She's transformed. She's no longer a lamb. As I close, you know, I remember, you know, when I first received prophecies many, many years back, right? You know, and of course, we were just married then. We had a prophet from South Africa and and, and he pulled us out and she said to me, he's, he said, you might think that you have married a lamb, but she's really a lion. Christine, do you remember, remember that word? And I was oversharing, right? But, but she's really a lion. And I said, my God, I couldn't see it then, but I believe that she's supposed to be a lion and she... And I believe that the best for joy is yet to be, but it starts church with... The men, number one, consecrating our lives, taking our place as the husband of the God's own heart, not as the husband as defined by your drinking friends. Huh? 
And I've heard so many times husband jokes, uh, telling wives jokes, right? Just uh, making uh, degrading remarks, you know, making fun of their wives at, at home. If that's you this morning, repent. Repent. About many years back, you know, even in ministry, we were, you know, when pastors gather, we'll talk about wives' jokes. And of course, we all repented. Repent. And my wife hated that, you know, because we'll be talking about, you know, what our wives didn't do, la, la, la. Repent. That's not our portion as, as believers. Amen. Be the man. And I wanted to, to show a video. This was back in 2005, you know, and I was trying to attach it to uh, my slides. I couldn't, but this was by Russell Peter. Do you remember this Be a Man, Do the Right Thing video? Do you remember that? It was like, so funny, and I wanted to attach that. Be the man, do the right thing. And that's my, and that's what I want to say to all of us. Be the man, do the right thing. So let me pray, all right? If you are a man, all right, male, man, where you are, if you're watching me, even though it's not life, can you please stand? And those in this place, just men, just let, let's all stand. And, you know, uh, as our first act of response to the verse in Exodus chapter 34, let's present our lives before the Lord and say, God, here I am. I consecrate myself. Because clearly, ancient principle, Bible truth, when men consecrate themselves before the Lord, God fights on behalf of the nation. Amen. God enlarges the territory, the influence of the nation. You know, I was just thinking, you know, what sort of call to action, you know, I can give. I remember in the early days of our church, you know, a few men came together, John, John Tong and, you know, Desmond and a few of those guys you guys came together and you started a men's ministry. Now, I know we've got a men's support group and, you know, you connect once a week, talk about different stuff and can I challenge you to go beyond that and, you know, start, start committing yourself to be the man after God's own heart. You know, and, I, and I pray, Pastor Andre, that, you know, the day would come when there will, you know, be a men's thing. I, I, I don't know how that looks like, you know, in this church where... We need to restore manhood. And it can be an organic thing for a start, but if God is speaking to you, do something. Do something. Let the men of this church arise and let us influence our friends, our family. Let, let, let us repent. You know, if, if we have put down our wives, if we have uh, turned against, turned away from our wives, you know, if we have, you know, uh, if we have said negative you know, things over our wives, if we have, you know, focused on the flaws, not the goal in our wives, come on, men. Let, let us, you know, just repent this morning. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, we thank you for this morning and we pray, Lord, let this message, Lord, just be the beginning, God, a catalyst of something that you might want to do in our lives as men, in our lives as husbands, in our homes, in our church, in this nation. Father, it's our prayer over this National Day period, God, that you will restore true scriptural, biblical order of manhood in this nation. Starts by being the husband after, God, after your heart, God. Even be, before we talk about being fathers, let's start with us being husbands who honor, who saves, who sacrifices, who will sanctify 
the partner you've given to us. Father, we love you. We honor you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. And everyone say, Amen.